With all this endless talk of vaccines and masks and whatever, we should really spare a thought for Ambrose Dunleavy and his son Jimmy, scions of a famous medical family who worked the area around Donegal, Sligo and Leitrim from the 14th century to the 17th. Ambrose and Jimmy were pioneers in the area of vaccinations and immunity. Out of the goodness of their hearts, they infected themselves with smallpox so that they could then use the pus from their wounds to inoculate others. A selfless act, a valuable service and a decent source of income for them. All was well until in 1798 a safer, more sophisticated vaccine was developed by scientists from the virus of cowpox. The benefits of this new fangled medical vaccine was said to last only seven years, while the Dunleavy immunity was forever. At least, that's what Ambrose claimed. Yet, this new medicine also didn't run the risk of killing you, which was an ever-present threat from the Dunleavy cure. By 1840, their selfless work of deliberately spreading smallpox was made illegal. And Ambrose and Jimmy had to go about their work wearing masks so as not to be identified. Somehow they managed to continue offering their service to the people of northwest Connacht and Ulster for another 20 years until eventually the new science won out. And with that in mind, you are very welcome to the Almanac of Ireland, a compendium of idiosyncratic, unorthodox and unexpected stories from all over Ireland. And for this chapter of the Almanac, I'd like to revisit an obsession of mine, the weather. Now, I'm not the only one obsessed, though. An opinion poll from a few years ago suggested that around two-thirds of us talk about weather at least twice a day. And that the same amount of us actually believe weather forecasts. So that got me wondering. Have we humans always been fixated on weather, or is this a more recent thing? No, it's at least 4,000 years old. That's Damien Corliss. He's a, well, let's just call him a weatherman. He's our guide today because he wrote a book called Looks Like Rain, 9,000 Years of Irish Weather. He claims that our obsession with the weather goes back thousands of years to an ancient and advanced group of people who lived in what's now Iraq and Syria. They were the Babylonians. Babylonians, for hundreds of years, had a very bad press. The more we know about them and learn about them, we find out they were actually a brilliant race of people, you know, and they invented calendars and water pumping devices. And they were also the first people on record to make a stab at weather forecasting. They studied cloud formations and other atmospheric signs to try and predict what the weather would be like. But... They weren't very good at it. You know, they made it up as they went along. They looked out the window. You know? And that was basically BC. That was, what, the, the, four or five thousand years ago? Yeah, okay. you're dead right. And then Aristotle, a genius, polymath, you know, everything. He wrote the first weather book, the Metrologica. 
This was 340 BC and it included observations and theories about all aspects of weather and climate from thunder and lightning to floods and earthquakes. And incredibly, this thing that he wrote was the standard text on weather for the next 2000 years. Wow. So, you know, it was only when scientific methods started, uh, people started attempting to be scientific about it. Yeah. But up until that, this was gospel, basically. Was it just observations about clouds and winds and things? Yeah, know? and not very good ones. Right. But God knows, he, he did so much, you know. Yeah, yeah. You, you can't really fault him on that, <laughs> you know. But who can blame Aristotle for actually making an attempt to predict the weather? I suppose it's really human nature to want to exert control over something as temperamental, as moody as sun and storms and sleet. History is littered with people who tried their hand at weather predictions. But perhaps few are as famous or as unfortunate as one Patrick Murphy, originally from County Cork. In 1837 he published an almanac for 1838. Almanacs were publications that included lists of noteworthy events for a year, including weather. And he predicted the weather for every day of 1838. Wow. This was in Ireland or in Britain? He was a Cork man, but it was in Britain. Okay. And his prediction for January the 20th, 1838, was for an exceptional freeze. And he said that, it depends on who you listen to, whether he said it would be 14 degrees Celsius below or 20 below. But as it happened, he just got it right. It was just a complete fluke. <laughs> and on that day, the River Thames froze solid. Wow. And people went out skating on the river. They were roasting sheep on the river. They had a fire lit on top of the Thames. River, they had the a, yeah, they had fires. Yeah, and yeah. this happened in, on a few other uh, rivers in the south of England as well. So was it between minus 14 and minus 20 degrees? Well, yes, it was. Amazing, right. <laughs> but was Murphy really a weather genius? Well, whether or not his predictions were beginner's luck or based on rock-solid science, Murphy's Almanac was a hit. The publisher's premises apparently were thronged by scores of people wanting to get their hands on a copy. And they had to print 45 editions just to satisfy demand. Murphy himself made a staggering £3,000 from it. Which was quite a fortune that day. But by the end of the year, his name was Dirt, basically, because he'd got it wrong so often. By the end of the year, somebody did a calculation that he was way off the mark 197 days of the year. (laughs) (laughs) And then things got worse. He blew all his £3,000 speculating on the grain market. A play came out, a stage play, which lampooned him as a potato seller who'd been mistaken for, you know, a very scientific person. Even the London Times, they carried a poem just to slag him, basically. And the first line was, when Murphy says frost, it will snow. So It reminds me of, it's the same how the venom of the attacks we give the weather forecast when they get it wrong. Mm-hmm. Like poor Theresa Mannion, when she overstopped the drama in a particular storm. We want then her to be them, you know, the Met Aaron or, or poor Theresa, to be the butt of all our jokes. It's so important to us that someone can tell us what the weather's like. And if they let us down, we go after them. <laughs> we do, yeah. 
It's hard to imagine, but the world didn't always have forecasters on which to vent their weather-based frustrations. The first meteorological service that used science, as opposed to things like astrology or guesswork, to predict the weather wasn't set up until 1861. And it was thanks to a man called Robert Fitzroy. He was an extraordinary man. He had a varied career. He was the captain of the Beagle. That's Darwin's boat. That's Darwin's HMS Beagle. Boat, yeah. The Beagle, of course, was the ship that carried Charles Darwin on his five-year voyage around the world, after which he developed his disruptive theory of evolution. And during this time, it seems that Fitzroy too was developing theories of his own about storms and weather forecasting. Sailing around the world, he would have got a close, you know, example of, of weather in your face, basically. But it wasn't until 1859 that Fitzroy was prompted to make use of his ideas to put his mark on history. That was a year of a horrendous winter fortnight in which 200 ships sank during storms around the coasts of Britain and Ireland. One of the ships, the Royal Charter, was smashed against the rocks off Anglesey in Wales, killing all 400 people on board. The public outcry that followed prompted the Navy to come up with a system of storm warnings for ships going to sea. Robert Fitzroy thus became head of the fledgling Met Office. He had 40 stations around the British Isles and having set up the service, Fitzroy was emboldened now to attempt making weather forecasts. So the world's first published weather forecast that we know of was for the 1st of August, 1861, and it appeared in the Times of London. And it was very, very brief. It was north, westerly winds, fine. West, the same. South, the same. <laughs> and the thing was that he got it right. I mean, just beginner's luck or whatever, he just got it right. And a lot of people showed enthusiasm for it. But he also got a lot of flack from two particular groups of critics. One were the owners of the, the fishing fleets because their crews wouldn't go out <laughs> if the forecast was bad. <laughs> and the second were the publishers of almanacs, which were hugely popular at the time. Part of their content was long-range weather forecasts. So people would buy an almanac at the beginning of every year and then hopefully everything's going to be predicted yeah. in that year. Yes. Right. And, you know, the publishers and the writers, they just made it up because there, there's no way you could know. But um, the almanac uh, publishers got very worried that it would put them out of business. And eventually it did. As, as the forecasts got better, they did. And so we have the incredibly innovative Robert Fitzroy to thank for our nightly weather forecasts. But this story came close to having a very different ending. Robert Fitzroy took his own life in 1865, having struggled with depression, failing health and financial difficulties. After his death, the fishing fleet owners, who had been against Fitzroy's system of storm warnings, persuaded the British government to abandon weather forecasting, and for a time, they complied. 
But the men whose lives have been saved by Fitzroy's pioneering work, the fishermen themselves, demanded the return of the Met Service. And after a short absence, scientific weather forecasting, Robert Fitzroy's greatest legacy, was reinstated. time that we really um, come in connection with weather is the mobile phone. You're constantly, you're, you're trying to, and you realise the f- signal's off either, the reception's bad, particularly where I live down in the West Mead. So it even affects, the weather will affect me trying to telephone someone else. Has that been a link between weather and wireless? Yeah, well, Marconi, who was, his mother was Irish. She was a member of the Jemson whiskey family. Mm. He was a very inventive guy. And one of the first things he invented when he was still a young teenager was a putching still. In, in the attic of the family home, which is now on the site of um, Montrose. In Dublin, uh, where RTE is. Where RTE is, no yeah. No way. So his mother's family was making Jemison's whiskey, and meanwhile he in the back garden is making putching. <laughs> yes. His right? He was an inventive genius, and he did come up with a means of transmitting wireless waves from one side of the Atlantic to the other. And when he did it first, in 1901, I think it was, Nobody would believe him. <laughs> People just didn't believe you could do that. He did it by bouncing it off the atmosphere. People had only recently discovered the atmosphere. Wow. <laughs> so he was in America at the time, was he? No, he was in Clifton and Galway. Oh, right. And he had someone in the States beaming it over to him? Or no, was he was beaming it to the oh, States, or to um, Newfoundland. Huh. So basically, he's using the weather or the atmosphere atmosphere. there to send communication across the Atlantic. Yeah, he he revolutionised the world. But um, if you're to to judge a person by the company they keep, he couldn't have been a really nice guy because his first wife was Irish, but uh, that didn't last. And uh, I think when he got obscenely rich and famous, he got rid of her. And his second marriage was to an Italian. And the best man at the wedding was Benito Mussolini. No. (laughs) If we can see past Marconi's poor judgment when it comes to his friends, we'll see how his work helped improve weather forecasting. You see, Marconi pioneered the use of microwaves to send and receive voice signals, which forecasters used to measure weather. In 1935, Marconi demonstrated the principles of radar, which are now used by every meteorological service in the world to forecast approaching weather fronts. It's funny, in a time where we're all running around wearing masks again, like the Dunleavy brothers, desperately seeking solutions to life's most urgent problems, it's encouraging to think that there are always people out there, like Robert Fitzroy, and Marconi, and Darwin too, of course, mulling over possible solutions, daring to dream big. They're out there, they always are, and it's likely there'll be more women among them these days. The solutions are nigh, at least, I hope they are. You've been listening to The Almanac of Ireland, presented by me, Moncon McGann, and produced by Colette Kinsella. It was funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee. It's a Red Hair media production for RT Radio. Mm-hmm.